Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington, Jr. Today's episode is brought to you by WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. Today, Philip talks about factors to consider when looking at mutual funds. Philip Washington, Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. Hey, what do y'all think about the new intro? Let me know your thoughts. If, if you give me some thoughts, I'll, uh, I'll have Steve put the beat on and I'll do a freestyle for y'all. Post it on my Instagram at AskPhilip. Uh, let's get into the show. This is Wealth Building Made Simple, brought to you by WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us and StonehillWealthManagement.com, right? Both are sources of helping you feel good about money. One is helping you develop a financial and investment plan uh, for your money, Stonehill Wealth Management, and the other is to help you enhance your mind set and your mood around money, WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. Let's get into the first question. What factors should I choose when looking at a mutual fund? There's lots of factors that you want to look at when looking at a mutual fund. It's a integral part of my process and very well documented because it's just wise to do. And from a compliance standpoint, that's just a, a thing that we that, that we do to, to have a process. But even if we didn't, it's just a really good thing to have a process. So I won't go over all the things that I use for my process because it, it would probably bore you and take a while. But I want to go over the top things that I look at when selecting a mutual fund that encompasses the you know the most important areas. And so first is your investment objective. And so like, what are you trying to do with your investments? And, and you can simplify an investment objective to really, I think of, uh, maybe let's break it into two or three, right? First one is just to preserve capital, right? So if you're just looking to preserve capital because you, you're going to need your money for the next, in, in the next five years, right, then that's going to be a conservative investment objective, right? The other one might be, long, you know, long-term money, right, actual investing to make money. That's really anything 10 years out. Um, and So that's a that's a long-term investment objective, right? And then if you uh, are in the middle, right, where you're, uh, you want to just have, have optionality uh, on using money, that might be a, something like a moderate objective, um, that I might consider, uh, and so that's kind of a something in the middle, right? There's other technical aspects of of investment objectives that I feel like maybe the industry created to create new mutual funds. I don't know, uh, but but really, it's when I'm thinking of an objective is really is really time based, right? What's your what's your what's your time frame, uh, and then the other layer in that is like what is your tolerance for risk, right? And everybody is different, right? Tolerance for risk might be. How comfortable are you with the topic of investing, right? And that's important because even if you have a long time frame, but you're not comfortable with uh, investing because you don't have the foundational principles understood and locked in, right? Th- then you may have a long term time frame, but you may want to go with a more conservative strategy um, uh, because that's just where you are emotionally around investment. That's perfectly fine, perfectly okay, but 
know the investment objective for you first, and then make sure that the investment objective for the fund you're looking at matches matches that, right? And in the context of a portfolio, and this is nuanced, kind of off topic, but if you're looking at a whole portfolio, each fund doesn't have to be that specific objective if all the funds collectively help you meet your objective, right? Meaning you may have a very aggressive fund in your portfolio, but it may be only 5 or 10% of your portfolio, right? And the rest of it helps you meet your overall objective. But that's where like the art and science and you know, mastery of working with somebody who manages funds might might help you, right? That's a more advanced portfolio um, expression. Um, performance track record. Most people look at a performance track record, I feel like, incorrectly, right? They look back and they say, uh, hey, I want to buy the fund because of its track record, right? I want to own the fund that earned, that owned the most over the last decade or five years or whatever, or three years, or even worse, one year. Right. And that's a terrible idea from my perspective, because past performance does not equal future performance. Right. Uh, what the, the reason why I look at performance is I I have an understanding. I want to have an understanding of uh, like is the is the fund performing the way that it should relative to uh, economic environments. Right. So. I'll use the example of of the Ark Fund, um, ARKW. One, you know, one of one of my favorite funds. One of the funds that we own and strategies for clients. I'm not recommending it, but it's just a. Um, I just love the fund um, because of a lot of different things. Um, they check the boxes on, on all of my uh, categories. Um, but you look at Ark Fund, and um, there are there are periods of time where uh, it has underperformed um, the S&P 500 over periods of time, right? And there's periods of time like this year where it's smoking it. And so what I understand around m- companies and industries and maturity is the maturity cycle of money, meaning ARK's investment objective and its specialty is investing in the future, right? Immature, relatively immature companies. And so if you're if you're rep, if you're investing in relative immature companies when money is tight, they're going to perform the worst relative to other companies. But when money loosens and money's able to go where it naturally wants to go, unrestricted from government bureaucrats, right? That's when it outperforms the old school establishment companies that make up, you know, a bulk of the S&P 500 or Dow. Um and so, or you know, the value, right? And, and I'm saying old school because S and P is not completely outdated, right? Because um, a big chunk of it is Apple, Tesla. But follow me, like it's more mature uh, than than the uh, ARKW 30 to 35 stocks that they tend to own. And so I look at it and go, all right, it, you know, it's performing in line with what it should, given the uh, economic environment, and and I'm cool with that because what I what I do know is over the long term. Money, government bureaucrats can't get in the way of the flow of money, right? They can't tighten money for a decade. The the dam is going to break and the money is going to flow the way it wants to flow. And so um, when I look at ARC and I go, oh, yeah, when money's light, it smokes it, right? I can say, cool, this is my expectation for the next decade as money opens up and go where it, go, goes where it wants to go. And that's really how I look at track record and performance. And, I, and I'm less looking at it even to predict what, 
return is going to be because that's unknown. Lots of factors like inflation, things that we can't uh, handicap. But all I want to know is uh, how you know w- w- what are the investments that are going to give me a relatively higher return than inflation, uh, and in this aspect, the average stock, right? And so as long as it gives me a relatively better return, then I can. It's going to get me where I want to go, right? Because everything is relative, right? If I'm, you know, if inflation is high, the relative return of all asset classes are going to be higher because inflation is a component in returns. Um, let's go to the, the third. The, the third factor is expenses and fees, right? Those are pretty self-explanatory. You, you, but I'm going to level it up. Like you might look at a Bitcoin fund, uh, for example, and those fees are going to be higher than an S and P 500 fund. Right. And it does. So, you know, you want to look at net expected relative term, net expected return relative to fees. And then you want to compare funds to funds. So like I like comparing Bitcoin funds to Bitcoin funds and making sure I'm getting the relative um, value, because even even amongst Bitcoin funds, you might have Bitcoin funds that own spot Bitcoin and Bitcoin funds that uh, that own the futures ETF, ETF. Right. And, And and futures are not the actual um, asset class, right? So it, it may be a more inexpensive than the than one that owns actual spot Bitcoin because of the one owns the IOU and one owns the actual asset, right? And there's a perceived uh, value where I as an investor, uh, depending on what I'm looking at, might pay more of a fee to own the actual spot um, Bitcoin than the other one. We don't have a spot Bitcoin ETF yet. I'm just giving you an example of 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 um uh, why that might be but both funds are going to cost more than the S&P 500 fund cuz I don't that costs like those funds are basically almost cheap um or 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 free um but you can't compare it because the net return is so much different right the bitcoin for the year as an asset class is basically double and the S&P has not even come close so even if you pay 2% on a fund right to get an asset class that's doubled in a year up to this point right the fine Fine, I don't care about the little, you know what I mean, fee because of the return. And so, uh, you can't look at fees in the vacuum. You got to look at fees relative to the relative expected return, and then compare it with other similar assets in the asset class, making sure that you are doing it as close to apples to apples comparison as you can. Fund manager expertise. This is important because I like to look at, um, like what's the, you know what's the background. Kathy Wood has a background of understanding. The big picture economy, but she also has a team of analysts that are relatively young and what I call have their ear to the street on what's actually going on, right? Because she has the wisdom and the gray hairs and understanding of the big drivers that drive moves and asset classes, but she's also entrusted the details, right? It's the equivalent of a record executive, right? These big record companies, all this money and all this understanding of principles and how the same thing happens over and over again. They go hire young A&Rs who are hip to the street, you know what I'm saying? Like they're going to find the new artist um, because like they love music and they're into it versus like the further, the older you get, this, not that you don't care about music, but you're not going to like appreciate the art as much because you got other things you're interested in, right? So you want to find somebody who's close to the street that understands and then help them feed you information so you can figure out which projects you're going to fund. Same thing in the investment world. And that's what ARC does. And Kathy Wood is uh, really good at uh Last one is holdings, right? Because um, I want to get to the next one. Last one is holdings. And holdings is like what it actually owns, right? One, one of the reasons why I was attracted to 
the ARKW fund was I had individual stocks that I owned and like and her team had the same ones that I owned and more. And when I looked at the ones that they had that I didn't have, I was like, dang, I wish I would have thought of owning that one. You know, so I was like, they're way better stock pickers than than I am. And she has those people that are that have their ears to the street. So let me just outsource my research to them and own the fund, right? And just watch what they're doing and make sure that we're in alignment. As long as we're in alignment, I don't have to do the individual stock picking, right? But looking at the holdings helps you understand like what you own and if you would own those individually. And I like the fact that ARKW, this is a plug for them, only owns 30, 35 stocks. So they're not trying to, you know, diversify and broad and try to, you know, uh, be vanilla clones of what their peers are doing. They're like, no, we're like investing in what we think are the best ideas. And there's there's almost no fund companies out there that does that. <laughs> you know, all of them are just trying to gather assets and be the benchmark. Um, so let's move to this last question. Um, how do I increase my risk tolerance over time? Um, education is the first step. And so what you can't even comprehend is going to be really tough to feel good about. So you want to educate yourself as much as you can around investments, right? In line with education, to get you a peer group. Like I, I like having a mentor, you know, however you see that, somebody who's better than you at money, uh, an advisor, wealth manager that can help you sort through options and ideas, uh, friends that invest and make money, and then mentees, right? This is This is important because mentees, even though, they may not be as wise as you around money and idea. Mentees have their ears to the street on like what's new, right? Because intelligence is a, a relative thing and intelligence changes, meaning like the 20-year-olds are going to be a lot smarter on the growing economy than we are because the growing economy is going to be their mature ideas. And so you want to keep mentees that may not understand the principles, but they can, they can put you uh, on what we call a game or help you understand uh, what's coming. And then you can take your wisdom and then wrap that around the new ideas. And it's like, you know, a perfect blend of harmony, right? So like the mentees are really, really important, right? Because even though you're investing in the principles into them, they're going to share share with you the new ideas um, that's coming. Um, and that's really good for money, make, making money. Meditation is really good, right? Because simply put, each subject, brings two thoughts, right? So I'm a, you can do a thought, you can, you can take the subject of money, right? And and the subject of money comes in many forms, right? It can be us paying for something. It can be our kids with the fundraiser. It can be uh, an invoice we got to pay. It can be just looking at our account. It can be thinking about investing. It can be watching TV about investing. But like money is a topic that we deal with all day, every day, and it plays in the background of our mind. But if you, if you stop next time you interact with money, you are... And, you, and you're present, right? You're present because most of the time we're not present. And so we're engaging in, with these subjects and we're reacting based on like our emotional state around the subject, right? I call it our default emotional state around the subject. Um, and, and so, um, but you always get, you get two thoughts. You, you only hear the one, like if you're in a bad mood, you only hear the bad one. If you're in a good mood, you only hear the good one. If you practice meditation and you and you allow yourself to remain neutral, right? You you may hear both, but you won't judge yourself on the bad one. You'll just say, "I'm gonna ignore that one," and I'll select and accept the good one, right? And uh, 
and when you think about it, um, like everything operates on momentum. Compound interest, we talk about in investments, right? The more you invest, the more time, the easier it is to make money because the money that you invested in and the gains that you uh, earned on that money, right, compounds and grows and gets bigger, kind of like a snowball going down here that gets bigger and bigger. Same thing with thoughts. And so if you if you think of thoughts like a line, if every time you thought about money in the past, it's from a it makes you feel negative in a negative mood and you keep adding to it, then this is it's naturally gonna be harder for you to change that trajectory, right? So what you first wanna do is like have something of like notice it first, like become aware of it first, and then just dedicate time to practicing feeling good about money, right? Like practice feeling good about money. So that can be it can be as simple as you um, uh, learning something new around money and feeling good about it, right? Or it can be you uh, paying a bill and paying it in joy because you're going to pay it anyway. So when you pay it, pause, be joyful. You have the money to pay the bill and then pay the bill, right? It can be going into imagination and imagining yourself, you know, spending the money you want to spend. But you you want to be careful. Like I don't if if you if you're in imagination and you're you're doing that practice to sort of magically make that thing happen, that's going to bring resistance, right? Just practice having lots of money and living lots of money from an imagination standpoint, like, because it's fun, right? Treat it like a movie. Just be like, oh, I just enjoy doing this, right? Like, that's fun, right? Look at other people who are making money, right? And, and find appreciation for them making money. I'm going to get into that in a second. But um, as you, this is like rewiring your 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 software and changing the way you feel about money, which over time will change your risk tolerance. Because the better you feel about money, uh, the the better your risk tolerance is going to be, and the more you're going to open yourself up to to make money, right? Because you think of we think of intelligence as 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 humans as like limited, right? But it's infinite, right? Because think about uh, if you go back a decade each time, like we're getting smarter and smarter as a, as a species, right? And so what, what even even this example, what I talk about a, 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 a good feeling thought versus a bad feeling thought, it's really just old thought versus versus new thought, right? Because it's relative. Uh, and, and so each time, for example, each time you take a higher feeling thought relative to a lower feeling thought, now you move to more like a new thought plane, right? And so then this the, the thought that used to be the higher feeling thought, uh, you know, now maybe is neutral. And as you begin to explore that mental plane more, now that thought is like um, not the higher feeling thought, right? Because now you have access to a higher feeling thought, right? And it's higher and higher. It's it's very similar to why th- scientists are trying. They've been for ever since Einstein had his theories, trying to disprove his theories, right? But what they don't understand is Einstein was a genius. And what I mean by that is when you're a genius, <laughs> you're thinking from the infinite, right? You're thinking from principles that are just going to keep expanding and so you can't disprove it um, versus like um, uh, the reason mind wants to like limit things and then dissect it and, and understand it versus saying, no, like 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 knowledge and everything expands, right? Um, uh, and you're, you're never going to be able to put a cap on infinite. And it's just weird watching scientists trying to put a cap on on infinite knowledge. No, like go read his theory. And I know I'm going nerd, but like he's a good example because like he was 
significantly ahead of his time. And so it's an example of, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of the technology that we've built since he came with the theory has been of benefit of him going into the mental future, if you will, and bringing that information to the present, explaining it in, in, in philosophical forms and providing calculations and then allowing society to build civilization on top of it, right? That's, that's how the mind works, right? The mind is not bounded by space and time, right? Like the mind is infinite and we can move around in the mind forward or backwards however we want to. Um, but in order to do that, you have to learn to practice neutrality, right? And put to sleep all of your old ideas and beliefs and allow in the higher and higher thoughts and then, and then go up the chain, right? So I'm going to hit this last point about appreciation versus hating because this is important. You know, one of, the, one of the things that when you're working through feeling lack about money or just anything in life, but we're talking about money, it's if you're feeling lack about money and you see somebody expressing lots of money, um, uh, it's natural for you in that bad mood to start hating, right? Because you're like, you know, especially if they express in a way that is outside of your preference, right? So you go, you might say something like, oh, this person, you know, oh, they, they, they're privileged, right? They, they, they inherited their money. Oh, this person married their money. Uh, oh, this person got lucky. No, this person is scamming people, right? Oh, this person's way of getting money, it's going to blow up, right? You, you create all these excuses because what you're really doing is comparing yourself relative to them versus saying, oh, this is their journey, right? I'm, Think of it like art, right? Art is unique to each artist, right? And so, like, everybody paints their art the way they want to paint their art, right? And so if you become like this, like, the worst artists are like critics, right? Like, critics critics critique because they haven't understood how to create art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, their, their job is to critique and make money off critiquing, right? But true artists appreciate all art and they they and, and they they're they're able to differentiate like 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 I appreciate this artist for their ability to express how they feel in form I may not be a preference for that style but I appreciate the art right that's the the mindset of a true genius art artist same thing with money with money once you learn to just appreciate all expressions of money Right and making money and feeling good about that, it opens up like your artistic ability to attract and make money, right? And so, like, I like meditation is a practice, and I'm I'm using that because once you feel better about money, risk tolerance takes care of itself, right? That that's a, you 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 know education is just the gateway into understanding how to you know about money, but it's not a lot. You don't need to read 800 books about money. Treat a couple of ones that make sense to you and then work on like your emotions around money. That's the bigger picture. Hope this helps. Until next week, y'all enjoy yourself. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. 